Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. We're glad you're here with us today. It's just a delight for me to be meeting with and interviewing a new friend of mine, Joel Hulk, who is a, just a delightful guy. And he's written a new book and the story about his life and the journey that he's been on. I read a, a draft copy of it. It probably by the time this podcast is out, it will be, it may be even in some of your hands, but it will be out. To, I ordered my new copy uh, just last night, although I have the, the draft copy, but I'm looking forward to getting that. But his book's called The Eggshell Effect, and it's just a wonderfully impactful book. Joel's an energy awareness coach and an emerging author in the healing arts. His book, The Eggshell Effect, reveals the story of how he discovered the source of his lifetime illness and how he powerfully transformed his health beyond the limitations set for him by the conventional medical established. In his book and in his work with clients, he creates a space for others to become self-aware in a way that enables them to tap into their energy source, a source that empowers them to choose freely throughout their life's journey. Joel discovered his approach to self-healing while battling a severe autoimmune disease, one that had conventional medical practitioners diagnose him with a lifetime in a wheelchair. His transformation is based around the altering of his lifestyle, which includes a plant-based diet, spiritual awareness and connection, and emotional growth. And he says this is leaps and bounds differently from his health as a boy. So enough uh, for me telling about my new friend. Joel, welcome. Thanks for being with me. Thank you very much for having me. It's an honor and a privilege to, to share this afternoon with you. Well, thank you. We we really had a good meeting, talk for a long time a couple of days ago, and uh, some more now. And I, after reading your book, I feel like I know you, and I look forward to spending some time in person one of these days. I'm looking forward to once all this COVID situation uh, clear off and we can be actually uh, socially connected. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Boy, that'll be nice, won't it? Well, Joel, as I've told you, I always start out my interviews by asking my guest, how has, and you talk very well in your book about life being a journey, not a destination. How has your spiritual awareness, your awareness of how you see yourself and other people, how has this affected all of your relationships, your family, friends, coworkers, people that you meet at the coffee shop, which you talk about some of that uh, in your book? How has it affected your relationships? So to, to really to answer this question, I mean, we need to go a little bit back and, and to see how I used to be before and how I used to be relating to people before and really how I relate to myself before. So the way that we're relating to ourselves, this is how we relate to others. And I used to live life of destination and life, life of, for me, it was a chess game. I mean, it was, I'm making a move, you're making a move. I need to figure out which move you will make before and then I will make my next move. And 
this is really how I operate my life. So, so it's obviously impact the relationship with others. I mean, there's everything. There was need to be a purpose. There was need to be an end goal to be able to get somewhere. I mean, there's no point just to meet people for just to meet people. And there was always need to be a purpose behind that. And definitely as my life unfold and, and as things open up in my life and, and today, really, it's just a journey. I am enjoying meeting myself every day. I'm enjoying meeting others every day. I discover about myself multiple things every day. And I discover about other people a lot of things every day. And it's just really enjoying the process and just enjoying the journey and, and, and have faith that everything is the way that it's supposed to be. And there is no accident. And everything that we feel, and even if it is painful and if there is suffering, but there is always an opportunity for us to grow and to learn from that. Not for granted when we are in the middle of the storm and in the middle of the pain, we don't really see that. We do need to survive the moment. We do need to survive the suffering and the pain, but really there is all, it is a lesson in everything that is open for us. There is. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but would you say there's less pressure in your life? Less, you don't have the pressure to get your goals met, get your agenda done in relationships with other people? So there's peace. Yeah, peace is certainly lack of pressure. At least that would be one aspect of it. Yeah. There's peace and there's also, and I'm a human being like anybody else. It's not. I'm not operating like this on 100% of the time. But mm. when I'm not, I always have my home base to go back to. Mm. When I'm reacting, I can reflect on myself and say, hey, Joel, what did you do? Why did you do what you did? Like, where did it come from? And I always can, sometimes can go back and, and clean up and, and, and fix. Sometimes there's really nothing to clean up. It's all in my head. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes there is impact on other people. And, and, and there is an opportunity basically to do that and to really to just go and clean up with other people. And it's needed. And we can do that when we live in peace with ourselves. Yeah, we can. You tell us in your story, and I don't want to give away the ending of it because I want people to read the book because I believe it's very helpful, but tell us about your beginnings, your travels, where you've lived, and how that's affected you in your life. So first of all, I believe that the book, and, and I'm so happy that you had the chance to read the draft, I believe that this book will be reading multiple times. This is not a book that people will read from beginning to end and put it on the shelf and never go back to that. Because as our life journey is growing and as things change in our life, this is always going to be like a manual, back, going back to say, okay, where did I source myself? So what, whatever we read today and wherever we are in our life today, things can change in a day, in a week, in a month, in a year. Things always will change in our life. We always can go back to this book and say, hey, what can I do now? But a little bit about myself. I was born in Argentina. I was three years old when my family moved from Argentina to Israel. So I, I really consider myself an Israeli. I, I grew up in Israel from age three until my early 20s. Israel was a very young country when you moved there, right? Yeah, it was 22 years old. I moved in 1970. Israel was created in 48. So, so it really was a young country. The first town that we live in, it's called Rehovot. I, I, remember, I remember the smell of the orange fields it, it just it was amazing it, it's not like this anymore but it's it was a very very young country that was being developed so so it was really special and after that my family moved from the city we moved to a community that it's it's a kibbutz community it's a social living it's really agriculture 
concept, really work is a concept, which was a special way of living in Israel. And, and this is really where I was able to become me. I was so privileged to live this lifestyle and, and being surrounded with animals and being surrounded with people that love me. And, and, and it was really, really special. I, I, this is where I fell in love with horses and, and I started training horses and I started teaching kids of how to horseback riding. And, and it, I became a really valid member of society in the kibbutz. And, and at a very young age, I, I started when I was probably about 11 or 12 years old and, and, and throughout all my teenagers years until I finished the service in the army. And I was actually heavily involved in the kibbutz life and heavily involved in the in the horses and in the stable and in the teaching. And so it was really special. And then you earned a living for a while training horses, right? And after that, I earned a living for a while in, in Europe to, to train horses. And this was great. And I enjoyed it. But there was flip side to that. I mean, horse training and horse sport is an extremely, extremely expensive sport. And I figured that I, I got burned out. I, I, I worked this was became my, my work. I lost my passion to that. So so after a while, I, I let it go. I travel in Europe a little bit, then I travel in South America, and then I came to the United States. I actually end up living in New York for a while, and one thing led to another, and end up living in Pittsburgh and been entrepreneur throughout most of my life. I've been I've been an entrepreneur. I, I always own my own businesses. So as a little boy in in the countryside in a new village in Israel. You didn't grow up thinking, gosh, I hope one day I can move to Pittsburgh, huh? I did not know even Pittsburgh exists. <laughs> 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 and, you know, some people will uh, like say Pittsburgh, they look at, oh, this is like they still think it's a smoky city. I mean, Pittsburgh is a beautiful city. It's a beautiful. More than that, there are beautiful people. The people in Pittsburgh are just beautiful people. They are good people. They are patient. They are, they are great people. Now, obviously, not everybody, but generally speaking, the feeling in the town and the feeling in working on the street and, and, and seeing people. They are just great, great people. I live in a small portion of town that's called Square Hill. That, that it's even, it's, a, it's just a great, great community. A, a lot of people know each other. So it's, it's a great, great feeling. Good. Tell us about what happened to you at, in school at the end of the first grade and after that. We're going back now to being seven years old. And the last day of school, as the kids, we all were sitting in, in the classroom, it was summer in Israel, extremely, extremely hot. And the teacher went throughout all the all the kids and gave us the, the report card and gave us the diploma for completing first grade. And every kid, we had on their diploma, there was the name of the school, there was the name of the student, and welcome to go to second grade. And in my diploma, where it say, welcome to go to second grade, there was a black marker that crossed this out. So they say, no, no, you, you're not going you're not going to second grade. You have to do first grade again. And this day is extremely significant that it was as a seven-year-old and would take many, many years for me to understand the impact that this moment had in my life. It was tremendous impact. And we have moments like this throughout all our life. Things happen to us that some of them, you know, they last for a minute, they last for a day, and some of them, they last for a lifetime. And it's not necessarily need to be something extremely, extremely bad and big to be impact for, for the rest of our life. For me, that moment was significant that reshaped my life completely. That took me until the age of 45 to really connect the dots and understand what was the impact of that moment. 
Now, I know I'm writing a book, and you asked me earlier today, Joel, tell me how you write a book if you're, with your challenges, with your learning disabilities. But the reason that I actually uh, had to help back in first grade is because at the time, they did not know what's going on. At the time, I was, I couldn't read and write. So the teachers thought that I'm retarded, that I need to go to a special, to retarded schools. I don't know if it's the right words. Yeah, it's retarded, correct? Well, that's what we used to say. That's not politically correct anymore. So what, what is the politically correct word now? Individual with disabilities. Which... Okay, but at the time when I was seven years old, right. they thought that I'm retarded. Okay, right. so maybe politically it's not correct right now, but at the time they told my mom that your son is retarded and you yeah. need to go to retarded school. And she refused to, to let it happen. And, and really, it took many years after that to be diagnosed with dyslexia. And once I was diagnosed with dyslexia, things became a little bit easier, but I was never able to catch up. Yeah, so this has definitely left a mark and, and left a tremendous amount of social issues that were created from that. Basically, I spent 13 years in school not feeling belong, not feeling part of, not feeling um, equal as. And this was probably one of the main reasons why I felt and I was so attracted to animals because the horses did not care if I can read or write. Yeah. Makes no difference to them. They never judged me. They never, they never, they love me. They knew I'm coming. They knew food will be here in a couple minutes. <laughs> and, and it was just, just was a great place to be. Yeah. Then you grew up and you, you told, you mentioned that you started figuring some things out when the time when you were 45. But you mentioned in your book and you told me you had a mindset that who you were, your identity was you couldn't read or write and you were stupid. I think that's the word you used. So that carried through all through your adult life, relationships, business. And you, obviously, you're not stupid. You're very intelligent. So you had, you figured out ways to cover that up and to cope and to be successful in business, right? So if you think about it, a seven-year-old kid that needs to held back, I mean, obviously, the logic sense that made to me is I'm stupid. I mean, school is basically, if you're smart, you're getting good grades. And if you're not, you're not getting good grades. And if you're not able to go to past another grade, to, to second grade, obviously, you're stupid. I mean, it just made sense to me as a child. And from that moment on, I start living life as being stupid. Now, in my back of my head, I knew I'm not stupid. Sometimes. And sometimes I knew I'm stupid. Depends on which situation I was in. If, if I was in the classroom and, and need to try to read or write, I'm stupid. There's no way for me to do it. But, but if, you know, socially, if there is uh, things that I could understand, things that I could, I developed extremely well memory. The reason that I was able to pass through school, because uh, until high school, basically, at least at the time in Israel, the teacher basically come to the classroom and, and, and teach the material. And then... You go home and you're doing homework and, and basically to to show the teacher that you actually understood what she taught. Later in life, you know, I mean, probably about seven, eight grades and so, that the teacher gave the material, go home and study by yourself. But for as long as the teacher was able to give the material in the class, I developed an amazing memory. I could hear one time and I would remember it forever. I could not do the homework. I did not do the homework because I could not physically do the homework, but I could understand everything. So I knew I'm not stupid, but 
this moment of, of, of being terrified, being singled out, being abandoned, being like this moment of seven-year-old, just this just kept sourcing me and sourcing me. It, it was the battle. I'm stupid. I'm not stupid. I'm stupid. I'm not stupid. And it just kept, kept, kept sourcing me throughout all my life. I can only imagine the conflict that was going on in your mind and, and how you managed to cope with that and then the challenges that came from that, which, again, you, you talk about in your book very well. But, gosh, I'm, I'm just so sorry that you had to go through that. And I know that's part of why you've written this book. You want to help other people who may be in the same situation. Thank you for being sorry. I'm not. <laughs> and the reason that I'm not is because, and this is part of the journey, is that I'm in peace with myself. I love myself. I am who I am today, thanks to everything that happened in my life, including living for 30 some years and thinking that I'm stupid. I would not be who I am today if this did not happen. Mm. So I'm thankful to everything that happened in my life, including that. What a great attitude to have. And, and I, I, you know, I, and I believe you. What a great attitude and a great understanding that is. It makes a tremendous difference in everything, doesn't it? It does. It does. Now we have to understand that to be able to be in this peaceful place, I had to go through the storm. I could not come to the peace. Obviously, as a child, I did not want to experience what I experienced. I did not know as a child that this is how things will end up. I, I had no clue. At the times when I was in the middle of the storm and the time that I would sit in front of a page and trying to figure out what's going on, I did not think that one day I will have a great conversation with Paul. And I never knew that this is how life will end up. Mm. However, when we're looking at our life journey, we cannot only pick the stuff that made us feel good and we're happy about it and say, hey, this is what I love about my life. And this is the stuff that caused us pain and suffering. I regret that that happened. Then we will not be who we are if not everything that happened to us in our life would happen. In life, we will feel pain and we will feel sorrow and we will feel fear and we will feel suffering. And we will feel love and we will feel happiness and we will feel joy. And it just, this is it. Yeah. Well, that's so very true. Joel, we're almost out of time for the first part of this interview. I think everybody's very intrigued and going to be looking forward to uh, <laughs> to hearing more the next time and maybe some other times after that. So before we finish uh, this episode of Grace to All with Paul Gray, tell people how they can connect with you and uh, how they can order your book and those things. They actually can go to my website at, at joelhawk.com. This is one way, actualeffect.com, and just pre-order the book. And anybody that will order the book from that website, I, I'd be happy to send them a signed copy of the book. So feel free to order the book from there. Joel Hulk, H-O-L-C, J-O-E-L-H-O-L-C.com. And when you go to that website, which I have, you'll see on the homepage how we can, uh, uh, can order your book and you'll sign it and send people a copy. Thank you very much. I appreciate you ordered the book. Yeah, well, I did. <laughs> and I appreciate you signing it. So I would. <laughs> well, Joel, thanks for your time today. Thanks, everybody, for being with us for another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group. Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.